Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Dr. Lark Eshelman for part one of their discussion on how attachment relationships aid in trauma treatment. Part two will be released on Tuesday, April 28th. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I have a real treat for you all today, and I'm very excited to tell you about a special guest that we have today who is a longtime friend and dear colleague of mine. I'm gonna give you some background information about her before we get started. Today, my guest is Dr. Lark Eshelman. She's the executive director of the About Child Trauma Foundation, an educational nonprofit teaching about and researching the short and long-term effects of early emotional trauma and the power of building resilience in young learners. She's a former school librarian, elementary school principal, school psychologist, and is a doctor of psychology, specializing in child development, attachment, and developmental trauma. Dr. Lark is on a select committee of the Pennsylvania Department of Education to shape the criteria for required trainings in Pennsylvania schools. She's also a special consultant to the state of Delaware's foster care system, among other training and consultation work. Back in 2003, she wrote one of the first books on attachment trauma, the title of the book, Becoming a Family, Promoting Healthy Attachments with Your Adopted Child. She also writes for Fostering Families magazine, as well as other magazines and journals. And most recently, she and Jane Gordon, an art therapist, created and published a coloring in pairs coloring book. It's called Color Me Closer, and it helps to bring people emotionally closer through partner coloring. She offers workshops, training for schools, parents, and professionals, and also brings insights to international audience. Uh, audiences, including adoptive families in India, professionals in Singapore, and communities in Eastern Europe. Her groundbreaking group work with the children of war in Croatia has been transformed into a group treatment model called Traumatized Children Building Trust, an innovative program for mental health professionals who work with children and families. Her passion is learning and teaching about the critical nature of healthy beginnings for our our youngest loved ones. Her very favorite role in life is with her family. So today, Lark and I are gonna be discussing attachment, attachment relationships, and how they relate to trauma treatment. So I know that you're gonna enjoy hearing from her, my friends, and we will be coming right up. Sought-after speaker and trainer Karen Doyle Buckwalter and trauma-informed school specialist Josh Carlson are coming together for a one-day workshop you won't want to miss. June 5th in Atlanta, Georgia, Lessons from the Toughest Kids features practical evidence-based strategies for working with challenging children and adolescents. You'll experience engaging lecture, discussions, and role-play with proven strategies from over 25 years of working with some of the nation's most complex children. Go beyond theory and book knowledge with Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Josh 
Carlson, June 5th in Atlanta, Georgia. Tickets are on sale now. Visit tkcchaddock.org or find us on Facebook. Well, here we are, my friends and listeners. Um, I am here, as I said, with Dr. Lark Eshelman. Hi, Lark. Thanks for being Hello, here this morning. Karen. It's wonderful to be with you. I love this. And I, I love your podcast series. It's so awesome and so helpful. Well, thank you. And you and I have been trying to get this set up for a long time. <laughs> I know. We're both so busy. It's crazy. I know. But it just shows persistence pays off. Yes, so. and thank you for listening. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about our topic today, um, talking about relationship and attachment and how that relates to trauma treatment. I often say that I feel like the fields of attachment theory and trauma theory are these like parallel universes because, yes. you know, particularly when you look in academia, it seems that, you know, they're the attachment researchers, which, you know, really fall into um, developmental psychology and then, you know, uh, there's people who are studying trauma that are kind of in a whole different wavelength and oftentimes they don't even like go to the same conferences or publish in the same journals. Um, so anything we can do to kind of bridge that together, I think is important. That's a very um, succinct way of saying that we are missing something big in the trauma field. And my field of attachment work is much longer for me than my work with what we would now consider trauma. I think the term trauma has kind of been usurped by ACE, by ACEs, mm -hmm. by the whole ACE study, because it's so much more. Trauma is so much more than the ACE study. As much as I love them and I love Rob Anda, a good friend, but um, there's more that we haven't talked about. So this is a forum to do that. I'm thrilled that we can get to, um, to this discussion of where they intersect. Yeah, so I know you've been thinking about this. And you've been out doing a lot of training mm -hmm. and are on several coalitions looking at um, trauma-informed education. And um, t tell me how you got to thinking about the intersection of attachment, relationship, and trauma. Like, what was brewing in your mind about all of this? Oh, Karen, no one would ever want to look inside my mind to see what was <laughs> well, clean, clean it up a it's little for scary. the listeners, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I'll try and make this clean. Here's the deal. Probably 20, I think it was uh, 19 years ago, I started a clinic because I knew that certain things were not being addressed well in, um, in the field of mental health treatment. And the thing that happened when I started working with families was I, I was impressed with the fact that here we have great tools to help children who have had interruption in their otherwise normal development. We have great tools. And, and, and it was an emerging field. It was a very exciting time to be hearing what we were learning about treatment, but they didn't always work. For some children or some families, it just didn't work. And here are these very well-meaning teachers, therapists, um, agencies working with adoption and foster care, um, spiritual leaders who were there to help families when they needed help. And yet they were offering these great tools that for some children and families just didn't work. And so that was the, the thing that kept 
messing up my my mind what I was trying to be clear about oh gosh here's a new treatment it works here's a new treatment it works but mm, not for these kids how come and so um, I had the opportunity just shortly before we opened the clinic so in 1997 to 99 I spent almost a year in Croatia in the former Yugoslavia working with children who had lived through that war Mm -hmm. I came home with the understanding that was underwritten by the um, uh, Rotary International, by the way, they were very interested in helping with the mental health of children because it was not being addressed in this part of the world after the war. How forward thinking the Rotary. I agree. Something, something like this now, because what I year agree. was that? That was before all of the, the buzz about trauma. Yep. It was 97 that um, Bob Patterson, who was a member of the, Rotary Club of Lancaster approached his club and then the, um, I, I've forgotten what they've called them, but the region, the Rotary region. And then they went to Rotary International. And Rotary International at that point wrote the largest mental health grant they had ever written to help children with the idea this would be, um, this would be a model and a template and I developed the program and we worked with children and these were kids that were considered or named unadoptable. But what I found Karen was that the kids who had come from healthy families before the war, before the interruption, if they were with parents to help them learn what the relationships are, i.e. attachment, healthy attachment. Lark, We're, I want to say something quick. We're getting some yeah. interference with your voice. So I'm wondering what is going on here. Um, it's coming across like choppy. Sometimes it's perfectly crystal clear. And then other times it's coming across really choppy. We've waited all this time for this podcast. Don't tell me that it's not going to work. Oh, boo. So, why don't we, why don't we um, keep, keep going and. Um, oh, uh, yours just did. Did it. Just that minute. I just heard a funny okay, a blip try, in the middle. I'm going to try um, closing out um, everything that I have open on my computer. And if you have some windows on your computer that are open that you don't need, maybe um, you could close them and maybe that will get the power of both of ours okay. to, to optimal. I'm so excited about what you're talking about. I couldn't really stand interrupting you, but I'm like, I don't want to get well, this. No, no, no. Much rather have it. Yeah. So yeah. So if you have some things you can close and I've closed out some I things. I just closed um, one that I had open. Lark, you were, you were talking okay. about your work in Croatia. Yes, so it was very clear to me working with the children in Croatia that those children who were lucky enough to have come from families in which they learned trust, healthy attachment, the basis of what we love to see with children and families, that they were much quicker to recover from the traumas that they experienced in the war. Um, the kids who had not had long enough, maybe they weren't old enough, or maybe there were difficulties before the war, for those children, it was much more difficult for them to recover. So, I mean, this is sort of a duh, right, Karen? Right. We would understand that, we would expect that, but what I didn't 
understand was when I came home and Rotary International said, great, you've done this great work over there. These kids who are quote unquote unadoptable are now in great families. They're doing well. But we need to do this at home because we have so many kids here who need the same kind of intervention. This was, it happened to be a group um, program which I now still have available. We're just re-editing again after all this time, but. And it does have some basis on TheraPlay, correct? It does. It was, in fact, to begin with, it was a research project with TheraPlay. And mm-hmm. Phyllis Booth was my helper. I mean, she was the person who was going to help me, yeah, integrate it with TheraPlay model. Mm-hmm. And you guys are given, TheraPlay is given first credit as a, um, you know, as a thank you, because it's based on the TheraPlay model and TheraPlay tenets um, of understanding. So yes, it was great. It is a great program, but it doesn't work with some kids. And this is what really made me think very carefully. Uh, It had to be adapted for working with children who didn't have an attachment model. So the attachment model is in the, in the brain, right? We develop it in the brain. We know that now. We can see it now on brain scans when it isn't working. Um, and it's the basis for all of the work now that we do at the attachment, um, the About Child Trauma Foundation, is how do we help to get to the kids who don't have uh, a strong attachment template? So this is the graphic. This is a very quick explanation of what I'm talking about. And I, I would love to have some help developing a graphic here because I think we could understand it better if we could see it. If, if I run out of gas and I pull into the gas station and there's gas that's ready to go into my car, my car needs the gas to run, I open the tank and I try and put the gas in to fill up the tank, but there's something there that's stopping it. This actually happened to me about two years ago. The gas started shooting back out at me as I was trying to put it in the tank. Mm -hmm. It was very scary. Mm -hmm. What in the world? This is not how this is supposed to work. So I went into the gas station and asked the guy to come out and he said, oh, you have an air bubble in there. It's not letting the gas in. It's spitting it back out. Well, if children's brains, if we can make a sort of a, Mm-hmm. This is sort of a not very elegant um, analogy here. If a child's brain has a has an air bubble and it can't receive the very good parenting that someone is trying to put in there, keeps kicking it out, then we're not going to get the benefit of even the best parenting or therapeutic intervention or whatever it is that we're trying to to do to help the child when they have a trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think, so I think, Lark, just to think about splitting this apart a little bit for our listeners, we're really talking about several things. We're talking about one of the first things that you were talking about was secure attachment as a resiliency factor that, yeah. you know, and we've seen this. We saw this in the London World War II yeah. um, uh, studies with children who were sent to the countryside away from family members. We saw this in 9-11 when yeah. people developed further PTSD symptomology who were in the towers if they didn't have safe, stable homes to run to. Yes. Um, so so we're, we're talking about that, and yes. you're also talking about 
um, the need for safe connection and relationship to just do trauma treatment, like with the therapist, kind of another thing separate from, you know, if you have this already, you're going to weather the trauma better. You're also talking about how does this come into trauma treatment, um, right? Exactly. Yes, it's been a frustration of mine that our field is not always really quick to embrace um, new techniques or new understandings of how we work with children and families. And that is, it's, it's, um, it's a frustration because if we understand exactly what you just said, there are two things going on here. One is, is the child, have they developed the resilience factors? Do they have the opportunity to absorb them and use them? Uh, then any technique that we use for a particular trauma is going to be helpful because the brain can absorb it. The child yes. can understand it. The child can use it. If the child's brain doesn't, then we have to be, we have to be resilient ourselves. We have to be flexible. We have to be uh, better thinkers about which treatments are needed. Um, so that was 19 years ago when I developed something called the STAT model, synergistic trauma and attachment therapy model. All this led me to the understanding that we had to incorporate both trauma treatments and strengthening or developing, if they didn't have any in the beginning, good attachments. So they would trust the people offering the treatments. Mm-hmm. 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 Which sometimes kids don't do and we can't blame the children. Right. It's not their fault if what we offer is not received. We have to figure out a better way to offer it. To right. That's, that's such a great point, Lark, that we, the grown-ups, the professionals mm-hmm. need to adapt, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, right. you know, sometimes I think we're getting so caught up in our evidence-based practices and our models and doing step one, two, and three. Like when I had my training, when I went through the training program in trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. our instructor said, if the child has significant attachment issues, they have to be addressed first yes. before you would start this protocol. Yes. But what I later found a lot of, people who are teaching the model are not saying that, clarifying that, advocating that, stating mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's just, you know, one example of right. we have to, it has to be like a both and. Absolutely. And that was what the STAT or synergistic trauma and attachment therapy model was trying to, is trying to say is that just like pouring gas in the gas tank, if it isn't able to receive it, then why bother to waste the gas? It's frustrating for everybody, can be dangerous. So don't do trauma treatment until you know that the child is ready or the family is able to support the child through the therapy, through the conduit of healthy attachment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a very exciting time to be in this field, but it's also a little bit frustrating. And, you know, something else, Karen, that really um, that begs for attention right now, I think, when we're talking about the intersection of trauma and attachment, is that our vocabulary is kind of all over the place. 
Yes. So trauma people may be talking about PTSD or ACEs, for example. Attachment people may be talking about relational trauma um, and different attachment therapies. And we're using some terms that don't really match up. Um, and we haven't refined our definitions of certain terms. So I'm on a committee right now in the state of Pennsylvania that we're going to be looking at terms as we talk about trauma in schools, but I, I, I don't have confidence that there is enough of an overlap with mental health treatment that we're going to get to the core of these terms. We need to understand what relational trauma is and what kind of, um, of a, um, an impact it has on trauma treatment. Right, so, so important what you're bringing up with this, Lark, because, um, and I know you and I have talked about this before, even the word trauma, we mm -hmm. all experience trauma. Like mm -hmm. there are various, you know, sometime there's going to be something probably that happens to every one of us. Right. But that's a very different thing than developing PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder and major symptomology that interferes in your life. I even think even something that basic is not clear out there right now. <laughs> like this is right. when the trauma has long standing impact and somehow impairs your, your day-to-day -day life. So we yeah. have, you know, that piece even getting even more, more basic. Mm -hmm. um, we have, we have that, that, that we have to, to be thinking about and understanding. Yeah. So I do agree with you that, that these terms are so important and, you know, another thing that's thrown around is evidence-based practice, mm -hmm. and people always forget to ask, evidence-based for what? <laughs> okay? So, yep. it's, it's like, okay, well, uh, in medicine, if we have an evidence-based practice for heart surgery, and we just run around and saying it's evidence-based, evidence-based, and we try and use it for you know, meniscus repair in someone's knee, I mean, it's not evidence-based for that. So, you know, we have these models that have an evidence base for single episode trauma, for example. Uh -huh. um, and so then there's that piece, like what is it evidence-based for? And then um, I think the third piece that you mentioned that is like so important is relational trauma mm -hmm. or trauma experience with a caregiver is completely mm -hmm. different than witnessing a shooting in your neighborhood or yeah. uh, having to escape a fire in California. I mean, right. there is a whole other piece and that's where we get into the attachment system. Exactly. Because the attachment system is activated for protection and safety. And if that person is a source of terror or lack of protection or whatever, we've got a whole other thing going on here. So mm -hmm. it's really nuanced. And so what you're saying is just so important because we're just like throwing out these terms, um, not clearly defining them, um, not really not really deeply understanding what we're talking about and the nuance of it. So Karen, one of the things that I keep coming back to when I'm working with or talking with um, both families and professionals is that we all have little T's. We've talked about little T, yes. big T. That's big yes. in the trauma field. And I think yes. it's, a, I think it's a good. So for, for listeners, could you define that? Someone may sure. not be familiar with, I first 
mainly learned about that in EMDR, um, mm -hmm. but little t, big t, could you define that? I can, but I would like you to, to chime in if this doesn't make sense to you, because I think here's an example of, we've taken something out of EMDR and then uh, used it in a broader sense, and sometimes the definition changes. So from my understanding, this is how I define it. A little t is something that happens to all of us. Everybody has one, could be more or less impactful, but it means that we can't get past it. We can get past it because we have help. We have relationships, we have supporters, we have resources to help us deal with whatever it is that just happened. To me, a big T is something that happens that interrupts our otherwise normal development because we don't have the resources to deal with it. And by resources, I feel that we're talking about attachment help because no matter what it is, if you experience it and you can't deal with it, it's a big T. Mm -hmm. if, if you fall off your, your bike and someone is there to scoop you up or tell you you'll get it the next time or um, be there to put a Band-Aid on or give you a boo-boo kiss, that becomes a little T and then it becomes a learning experience. Mm -hmm. Oh, I shouldn't have taken the corner that quickly or oh, I shouldn't go so fast when I'm going downhill or whatever it is that you learn from it. But it becomes a big T when you fall and there's no one who can help you understand the experience or give you any confidence or the help. So you know you're out there on your own. Well, I wish no one were out there on their own. I wish everyone had someone who could help them when they're young, when they're growing, when they're learning. And so to not have anyone must be the most scary thing in the world. So a big T is it turns into an interruption in development. These may be the kids who say, I'm never going to get on a bike again. That changed the trajectory of your life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that would be similar to my understanding. I think the only thing that I would add is the person has to define that, you know, um, I, in my EMDR training, remember uh, in a case that I was uh, looking at, a person I was working with, when you ask, you know, some of the most disturbing incidents for her was waiting with my little overnight suitcase to go see um, my father who didn't have custody of me. And, you know, waiting every other weekend and every other weekend often having him not show up. So I think someone might say, oh, your dad not showing up to pick you up sometimes for your weekend visit. Somebody might say, well, I put that in little T trauma. Well, for this person, it was in big mm -hmm. T trauma. So yeah. that would be the only thing that I would add is right. I, I right. think um, we that general overall understanding exactly, but we have to ask because different people experienced um, different things that to us may see, oh, that should have been a blip in our mind, and it wasn't. And like you're saying, depending on the amount of support around for it. Well, and if you can receive the, rep the, um, the support. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we're back to this gas in the tank. You know, if you can't receive it because you don't have a template for a safe, healthy relationship, which is the basis of attachment, then no matter what kind of resources are quote unquote thrown at you or offered to you, you can't receive them. It doesn't help. It doesn't, it sometimes makes it worse.
That is so eloquently stated. And I think that that would be a good place for us to take a break here. Um, and when we come back for part two, be talking about more teasing out what do you mean by that? You know, how, what is needed for somebody to be able to take in the help offered? As you said, that's your bottom line here. Yep. This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Dr. Lark Eshelman on how attachment relationships aid in trauma treatment. Part two will be released on Tuesday, April 7th. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. Attention.